my name's Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church, and uh, excited we get to spend a little bit of time together. And I love, I love David's story. I, there was a line he said in there that I just, I love so much. He, he, he was telling his youth pastor, he said, um, I don't like who I am, but I like who I am when I'm here. And maybe, maybe you could say the same thing. You know, maybe that's kind of your story. You've been hanging around church for a little while. Maybe you've been hanging around Hope City, and you don't have the answers to all your questions, and you... Uh, you know, aren't ready to maybe fully commit to Jesus yet, but you like who you are when you're here. And we would just encourage you to keep coming back. And so many of you do. And so thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, I love being together with our church family. So today we're going we're gonna to start a series of messages, a new series today uh, called Living on Empty. Living on Empty. And we've decided to take a few weeks to talk about feeling empty because it feels like our society is exhausted. I don't know if you, if, if you know what I'm talking about. Maybe this is not how you feel, but I know for me and so many people that I talk to, describing how it's going in their home, describing how it's going at their job, describing how it's going in their head, we're all just kind of trying to hang on in a lot of areas of, of our life, Right? Now, when I say exhausted, I'm not just talking about, I'm really not even talking about excessive activity, being tired from excessive activity, because that was actually one of the blessings to kind of come out of 2020 for a certain period of time, maybe not anymore, but for a certain period of time, we were, we were kind of forced to slow down, and, and most of us did, not everybody, but most of us did, and for a few weeks there, it kind of felt like everyone was rested a little bit, you know, recharged a little bit, but I think we can all admit that that has passed, we're not at that place anymore. So when I say exhausted, I mean trying to carry the pressure and the stress of this year and, and living in the middle of, of chaos, living in the middle of chaos. I jotted down a few things that maybe you're dealing with all, uh, all at the same time. And, and just you know, let me give this list to you. Maybe you could connect to some of these. Maybe you're dealing with sickness. Maybe it's COVID sickness. Maybe it's some other kind of sickness, while at the same time worrying about money because you're not sure about uh, your career or your job or how many people are going to get laid off, while at the same time you are caught up in the, the emotion of a political election, the, all that goes with uh, voting and parties and news, while at the same time having too much free time and being on social media too much, which leads to too much anger. And this is all happening while at the same time being frustrated potentially about wearing masks. And at the same time being worried about the future, depressed, anxious, and afraid. These are just some of the things that we are dealing with all at the same time. And when you carry that much weight and you have that many th things going on, it, it is exhausting exhausting. It's like, it's like when you wake up in the morning and you thought you had been charging your phone all night, but you realize it didn't charge. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so you spend the rest of the day trying to make sure you have battery. You're plugging it in where you can. You get a little charge here. You get a little charge there. Put it on battery saver mode, you know, and isn't that how our soul feels a little bit? You know, doesn't it feel as if in, in 2020, doesn't it feel as if 
Uh, we, 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 we're not charged and we're trying to just get through the day or the week or the month, just kind of getting a little charge wherever we can, get, getting a little hit wherever we can. We feel as if we're living on empty. We feel as if we're living battery low. It's yellow. It's not green. It's yellow. Some of us, it's red. You know what I'm talking about? And we've just been kind of unplugged now for a certain period of time, leaking joy and energy and optimism. I don't know about you, but I think I've kind of cycled through the stages of grief like five times this year. And, and, and so you, you, you kind of just get to this place where you're just on empty. It's a terrible place to live, by the way, on empty. And my prayer is that over the next few weeks, we can find hope in the Bible, hope in Jesus, that, 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 that we can bring our emptiness and our disappointments and our frustrations and our exhaustion to God. Because that's what he said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is going to be kind of our, our theme verse, if you will, throughout these messages. We'll keep coming back to this verse. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, he said, Come to me, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary. That's, weary is not just tired. Weary is like soul exhaustion. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And so that's our prayer. That's our hope. We want to come to Jesus because if we go anywhere but Jesus, it, it may be a quick little plug into the outlet, but it's not the charge that we need. And, and, and if you read any of the stats and you read any of the stories, here's what we're finding out throughout this year is that people are going to other places besides Jesus to find rest for their soul, but they're not finding it there. Maybe you could relate to that. Maybe, maybe you could relate to that. And maybe when you feel exhausted, maybe when you feel weary, it's a trip to the casino. It's a trip to someone's apartment that, you know, you can hook up with, but there's no relationship with. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's a, uh, it's a certain bar that you go to. Maybe it's Netflix and just binging on a show. Maybe it's ice cream. Come on. I read the other day, and it's so true, that I, I, th- I thought I was going to hit 270 before either candidate got there. You know what I'm talking about? Just all the emotional eating that was happening through this process. And uh, we, we just cope. We find ways to cope with what it is that we're feeling and, and, and may, maybe it's parenting, NTI, distance learning, you know, being at the house together all the time. And maybe it's more, uh, more dishes, more laundry. There's just all of these things that, if we're being honest, have, have, have made us feel weary. And the good news is that Jesus says, if you're weary, come to me. If you're weary, come to me and I will give you rest. And so that's what we're going to do these next few weeks is we're just going to figure out how do we come to Jesus? How do we bring our weariness to Jesus? How do we bring our heavy burdens to Jesus? How do we bring our frustrations and our anger to Jesus? And, and, and we'll, we'll be looking at that. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into the first week of this series together. Let me pray. God, 
thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come to you. We can come to you with what we're feeling and facing and caring. And God, I pray that as we open your word, it wouldn't be my words. It would be your words that penetrate into our hearts and our souls. That we would leave here more in love with you, more convinced that you are the answer, that you are where we run to and where we need to go and our souls are empty. Help us to find that today and trust that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today I want us to look at a story in the book of Matthew, and this is a story about the night that Jesus was arrested. On this particular night, Jesus had already had his last supper with his disciples, and he knew that uh, he knew what was coming. Jesus did. The disciples had no idea what was coming, but Jesus did. He was going to be arrested and crucified. And so Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples. And so he, Judas had already left to, to kind of start the process of uh, betraying Jesus. And so there's, there's Jesus and the other 11 disciples. And to prepare them for what was about to happen, Jesus took them to the garden to pray. He wanted to help give them a chance to prepare. Um, he didn't take them to the gym. You know, he didn't take them to the store to buy weapons. Uh, he didn't take them to church necessarily. He took them to a place to pray. And so we pick up in verse 31, Matthew chapter, 30, or Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. And I'm going to read uh, all the way down to verse 52. And then I'm going to read a little bit more after that. So we're going to read for a little bit just to see what happened on this night that Jesus was wanting to prepare his disciples for what was about to come. Chapter 26, starting with verse 31. Here's what it says. It says, on the way, Jesus told them, talking about on the way to the garden, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, verse 33, Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Verse 36, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 42, then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And so he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, oh, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. 47, and even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. And they had been sent by the leading priests and elders and the people. 
The, the traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet you with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Now we know this is Peter because in another gospel, it tells us that it was Peter. And so Peter grabs the sword and slashes off the ear. Now skip down to verse, uh, verse 69. So Jesus is arrested. He's taken. And in verse 69, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over to him and said to him, you're one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. 73, a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even knew me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Man, what a night. Had to be the worst night of, of Peter's life. Had to be the worst night of the disciples' life. What a night. They, they are having uh, dinner with Jesus, a private dinner with Jesus. And, and it was the Passover. They're Jewish. This is a big deal. This is a holiday. So it's a holiday. They're having a private meal with Jesus. The night started out so well, but it takes a left turn. The emotions are high. It's running crazy. And, and the night ends by running scared because Jesus was arrested And for Peter, the night ends by denying knowing Christ. Had to be, had to be the worst night of his life. He had promised Jesus that he wouldn't deny him, and he did. He had promised Jesus that he wouldn't abandon him, but he did. And I think like Peter, we learn a lot about ourselves on those worst days. We learn a lot about ourselves in those lowest moments. We, we really learn a lot about ourselves when unexpected things happen. And I would be willing to bet that you've learned a lot about yourself this year. Because nobody saw this year coming. Nobody saw this year coming. Nobody saw this calendar layout coming. Nobody saw this school year coming. No teacher saw this school year coming. No, no investing, investment bankers saw this year coming. Not, no, no, no entrepreneurs, no business owners saw this coming. Okay. And it's in those unexpected times, maybe those times that we say are, are the worst, that we really learn a lot about ourselves. And yes, this year we've learned some good things, I'd be willing to bet. But I would also be willing to bet that you've learned a lot of things about yourself that you don't like. I think if we were being honest, we could say that, that this year I have, I have learned a lot about myself. I've seen some things in myself that I don't like, and I didn't know they were in there, or I knew they were in there, but I didn't realize how substantial they were in my life until life took a turn 
for the unexpected, and I have found myself empty, depleted, angry, confused, uncertain. And when those emotions started happening, there were things inside of me that came out that I didn't know about myself. And here's why that happens. It happens because how you react is much more honest than how you act. And we talked about this in the Jonah series, that religion spends a lot of time talking about your actions, and that's fine because we need to talk about our actions. But isn't it true that your reactions are more honest than your actions? Isn't it true that your reactions are much more of a struggle than your actions? It's the things that are on default in your life. It's the things that you do in response to the things that are happening in your life. Those are really the honest things about yourself. You didn't really have time to think about it or plan for it. It was just a reaction. We see things that are in ourselves. This is what happened to Peter. It's what happens to us. It's your reactions that reveal what you're feeling. And so, again, I'm willing to bet over the last eight months that you have learned a lot about yourself. I'm willing to bet you've learned a lot about your patience. I'm willing to bet you've learned a lot about your temper. Come on, parents. I'm willing to bet you've learned a lot about your discipline. The way you cope. You've probably learned a lot about your coping mechanisms. And so many other things that you learned because life threw something unexpected at you. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you five lessons that you can only learn after your worst moments. Now, we're going to take these straight from what we read about Peter, but I think these are true uh, for all of us. Five lessons that you learn, and I believe probably can only learn after your worst moments. And maybe this year you've had some of your worst moments. And if you have, I'd be willing to bet you've learned these five lessons, at least four of them. And so let me give them to you. Five lessons you learn after your worst moments. The first lesson you learn is that we all overestimate our intentions. We all overestimate our intentions. This is what Peter did in verse 35. In verse 35, Jesus said, you know, Jesus, who kind of knows everything, said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And look at what he said in verse 35. Peter said, even if I die with you, I will never deny you. We all overestimate our intentions. We're filled with good intentions. And, and isn't it true that at our lowest moments, we look back and we realize that we meant a lot of good and we had a lot of good plans, but we, we overestimated our intentions. The second thing that we learn at our worst moments is that we underestimate how tired we are. You never realize how tired you are until you're at the bottom or you're after your weakest moments and you look back. And that's what happened to Peter. Jesus takes him to the garden to pray in verse 43. It says that when Jesus returned, he found them sleeping, that he keeps coming back and they are still sleeping. It's because they were tired. Have you ever, have you ever thought, you know what, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. So you close the blinds or whatever, and you wake up, and you think, you know, it's maybe like 9.30, and it's like 11.30. That ever happened to you? 
Have you ever gone on vacation and you thought, you know, I'll catch up on some sleep and you are shocked at how depleted you are and how much you need to catch up on what's happening? Not only are we filled with good intentions, but we, it's in the worst moments and the unexpected times, I would be willing to bet in this year, we underestimate how tired we are. We think we're, we, we think we're doing okay, but we're not. Let me give you another one. The lesson we learn after our worst moments is we overestimate our strength. We overestimate our strength. Look at what Peter did. Peter, uh, when Jesus is getting ready to, uh, Jesus is being arrested, Peter grabs a sword and cuts a dude's ear off like he's going to defeat this whole entire army. Something needs to be done, and so I'm going to do something about it. I've got a sword and yes, I was sleeping while Jesus wanted me to be praying, but I can, I can fight, and so I'll, I'll do something about this. And Jesus is like, stop it. Because we all overestimate how strong we are, what we can carry, what we can put up with, what we can accomplish, how long we can last. We all overestimate our strength. Let me give you another one. Here's another lesson that you learn after your worst moments is that you overestimate your willpower. I mean, we, we, we believe that we can withstand. We believe that we can say no. We, we believe we can put ourselves in the middle of situations but not give in. And at the beginning of anything that we're trying to do, we vastly overestimate our willpower. Research has shown that people who have better willpower don't actually have better willpower. They just don't ever have to use willpower. So research has shown over and over again. They're just not in places where they have to actually make a hard decision. They position themselves to have automatic decisions. The willpower is a commodity. It runs out. You keep putting yourself in situations where you have to use willpower. You run out of willpower. That's what science tells us. And that's what happened to Peter. Verse 74, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. How would he do this? Why would he do this? Well, he would do it, and, and he does it the same reason we do it. He didn't mean to. He got in a moment where he got scared, and he, he couldn't stand as strong as he thought he could stand, and he gave in. This is what we do. And some of you right now, as you're listening to me talk about this, you, you know what it feels like to can, can constantly give in and to, and to want to be uh, the type of person you want to be or to do the types of things you want to do or to stand the way you want to stand, but you just give in over and over and over again, you're so defeated. It's not just the guilt of doing wrong. It's the shame of feeling like there's something wrong with you. Wow. That's what happened to Peter. Wow. But after our lowest moments, we look back and we realize that, yeah, we overestimate our intentions and we underestimate how tired we are and we overestimate our strength and we overestimate our willpower. But I want to give you one more lesson that we learn, hopefully we learn, that we should learn when we have our worst moments, and that is that we underestimate the power of prayer. We underestimate the power of prayer. See, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew what the night had in store. And Jesus being able to choose any way to prepare for what was about to happen. He could have chosen any way to prepare. The, the, the response, the method, the plan that Jesus had to prepare his disciples for what was about to happen was prayer. It was prayer. 
This is what Jesus said in verse 41. We read it. He said, keep watch and pray so that you'll not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. See, that's those intentions. Your spirit is super willing. Your intentions are amazing. The the thoughts and the plans you have for your life are outstanding. The type of person you want to be, the type of prayer you want to be, the type of Christian you want to be, the kindness you want to show to people, the love you want to exhibit in in your life, the way you want to save money, the way that you want to beat bad habits, that you're willing, you're, you're filled with good intentions. But the flesh is weak. And Jesus says the answer to that dilemma, the answer between the gap of what you want to do and who you want to be and the weakness you feel in your flesh, the answer to that gap is prayer. More than anything else, it's prayer. And Jesus wanted the disciples to pray, but instead they slept. And so when the, when the soldiers arrive, they handle it the totally wrong way because that's what happens when we don't pray. We handle things the wrong way. So Peter grabs the sword, swings away. Then they all run. And I, I've shared some of this with you before. I was looking through some of my notes, person, my personal notes that I have for prayer because this has been a journey for me as I've wanted to be a more of, a, effective prayer. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I've... I've Prayer has always been a little bit of a struggle for me uh, as an analytical person. And so over the last 15 years or so, just, just asking God to help me become what I feel like is a better prayer for me. Not, it's not judging on anybody else, just for me. And the way that the disciples respond, because they, they weren't prayed up, you could say, is, is really how I can identify in my life, too, if I haven't been praying. How can I tell if I've been praying? Uh, I, I wrote down a couple of things. If I, I know I haven't been praying when I'm feeling afraid. I know I haven't been praying when I am reacting, or I should say overreacting. If you ever find yourself disproportionately reacting to something, it's usually a sign you haven't been praying. I know for me, I'm aggressive. I'm snapping. I'm tired. These are ways that I know that I haven't been praying. I love the way Rick Warren says it. Rick Warren says, Uh, He's talking about reading his Bible, but he said, if I go a day without reading my Bible, I know. If I go a week without reading my Bible, my wife knows. If I go a month without reading my Bible, my church knows. I just, I love that. And so when we're not praying, when we're not prayed up, when we're not uh, having prayer, talking to God, connecting to God, we... We don't respond to the unexpected events of our life the way that we should. And yes, we can pray on the backside of all of life's problems. That, that counts too. But, but Jesus wants us to, to pray, kind of pre, pre-pray. To be prayed up, to prepare our hearts and our souls for what we're going. And a lot of what we've experienced this year and a lot of what we've seen in ourselves this year is really just been identifying that our souls were not where we thought they were, that our, that our hearts were not where they thought they were, and that we were not as close to God or as connected to God as we thought we were. So we react, we respond. And the gap between who we want to be and who we are, 
the gap to how we want to respond and how we are responding. The gap to how we want to feel and how we feel. Jesus said, the answer is prayer. The answer is prayer. So if I prayed right now, we would all, we'd be, if I ended right now, we'd say, well, that's great. But how can I do that? Okay, Jason, I want to pray. I want to I wanna pray. I struggle to pray for a million different reasons that we could all give. But how, how can I pray? I want to pray. How can I be better at prayer? And I, just for the few minutes that we have left, I want to just share with you some things for me. And again, these are not new things. Because you don't have to recreate the will. We just got to keep coming back to what we know to be true and to do. I want to tell you for me lessons I'm learning, ways that I am learning to to enjoy my prayer life better. To find find a a satisfaction and a contentment in my prayer life. And I'm going to give you that. I want to read Matthew chapter 6 verses 16 or verses 6 through 13. I'm going to read it to you out of the, the message translation. Very famous message passage about prayer. This is the way that Eugene Peterson translated Jesus's famous passage on prayer. Peterson translated it like this. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. This world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer, prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. I love that. And for me, that was one of the biggest barriers to get over is that prayer can be simple. Prayer can be simple. And so I want to just, I'm gonna, if, if you're a note taker, I'm going to shoot these five at you. Here are five ways that you can um, enjoy prayer more, be, be more satisfied with your prayer life, however you want to define that. Number one, I would say get alone. Get alone. Almost impossible to really have a deep satisfaction in your prayer life if you're only praying around other people because you can't help but role play a little bit. You can't help but pray a certain way, talk a certain way, but you got to get alone. Now, for some people, getting alone is not a problem. For other people, getting alone sounds like the worst idea ever, but you got to get alone. Find a spot to get away. It's just you and God. It doesn't have to be some symbolic special spot. It doesn't have to be a closet or a chair. It can be your car. It can be your shower. It can be a walking trail. It can be a bed. But get alone. It's number one. Turn the phone off. Turn the TV off. I even turn the music off, even if it's worship music, because I just can't, you know, I'm listening to the bass player or whatever. I can't do it, all right? So get alone. Second thing I would say is pray out loud. Pray out loud. We've talked about this before, but pray out loud. It makes you feel weird. Well, prayer is kind of weird, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, you're talking to God. It's not weird. It's just supernatural. It's different. It's, so pray out loud. That's one of the reasons why it's important to be alone, by the way. 
talk out loud to God. And, and if this feels uncomfortable for you at first, you'll get better at it. You'll get more comfortable with it, talking out loud to God. You'll eventually end up like my dad or my granddad. You know, you're just sitting in the car talking to God, and you're sitting there going, what in the world's going on? There's just a comfort level with talking out loud to God, right? Number three, I would say be honest about how you feel. Just be honest. Be honest. He already knows. God does not... God did not establish prayer so that he could be informed by you. He established prayer so that we could have communion, relationship, conversation with him. And so by not being honest about how you feel, you're not keeping it from God. Be honest. Tell him exactly how you feel. Say it exactly how you want to say it. Say it exactly how you're thinking it in your head. You say, I can't say it the way I'm thinking it in my head. Yes, you can. You can. He, he can handle it. He can handle it. Ask for help. That's the fourth thing I would say. Ask for help. God, I need you to help me. I love that over the years, preachers have preached against prayer being a list, a, 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 a list of things you want from God. And I get that. We say, hey, don't just make prayer a list. I get that. But you know what? You get to bring your list to God too. So don't feel bad for bringing your list. My kids ask me for stuff all the time. It doesn't make me love them less. So yeah, we want to come to God and talk to God and love on God. But you get to bring the things on your list too. You get to ask for help. God, I need you to help me not feel this way. I need you to help me forgive them. I need you to help me not be really mad at my kids right now. God, I need you to help me not want to, like, punch a wall. I need you to help me. God, like, what do you need help with? God, I I need you to help me say no to, to, to that, to that temptation, to that feeling. What do you need? And then the last thing I would say is keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep doing it. Keep talking to God. Keep making it a regular rhythm in your life. Because the gap between who you want to be and who you are is prayer. The gap between how you want to feel and how you really feel is prayer. The gap between the way you want to respond and the way you do respond is prayer. So this is how I wrote it down for me. I'm weaker than I think I am, but prayer will help me more than I think it will. You're weaker than you think you are, but prayer will help you more than you think it will. So this is our starting point for living on empty, the starting point for not feeling so defeated, uncharged, out of control, dead. No other answer out there would be the right answer before prayer. We'll talk about some other answers, but it's got to start with going to Jesus Because he said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that um, you sent your son as a man who knows what it feels like to, to be tired, to be tempted to be afraid, to feel anxious. But we can look to Jesus, God, as our example for, for, for how we, we don't have to give in to the worst parts of us. 
we can stand strong. We do have the power to overcome sin and temptation and depression and fear and anxiety because we have Jesus and he showed us and he gave his life for us so that the power that raised him from the dead would be living inside of us. And so God, I I pray for every person watching, listening in this room that we would not look to anything else to refill our souls before we would look to you. We would come to you with our feelings and our disappointments and our anger and our anxiety. We would come to you. And God, you promised if we would come to you that you would give us rest. And so God, we are asking for that rest because we're tired. We're tired. And we need to feel joy again. And we need to feel your presence again. And we need to feel hope again. And you promised us that we could if we'd come to you. So God, I pray that you would help us to to be more committed than ever before to prayer, to talking to you, to coming to you, to being honest with you, spending time with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.